Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 350, Listener's Top 20. We like to thank all of our wonderful Patreon backers for helping us bring us a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we are back, and we are so glad to be back with you this week because we are, in fact, having one of our most favorite episodes, which is Listener's Top 20. If you've listened to us at any point, usually you're listening to us talking about our top 20, 30, 100, 150, God only knows how how far (laughs) we keep going. But for this episode, it's your top 20. Right, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. We do this every year. And, you know, it, it's such a lot of fun because we run a contest. We put it out there. We ask you all to give us your top 10 games. And then we kind of aggregate it together and make this top 20 list. And so one of my favorite things about this process, other than giving away the game that we're going to give away to the winner of the contest, which we'll announce next week. I know. Is it too is, late? To, is it too late? Can I, can, I, can I do it? Can I put in? Can I put in for this? You, you might own all these. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but my favorite part is going through the list, right? So I get to see every vote everybody did. And there's this year we had 800 different games were mentioned across all of the top 10 lists. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> keep in mind, a lot of those games are mentioned multiple times. So because that's how you get a top 20. It is. So that was a lot of fun. There's like crazy stuff in there. Some games I've never heard of and I'm looking up and I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. I've heard a lot of games, a lot of games. So it, it yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, thank you to everybody who participated. Absolutely. Again, we will be picking a winner this week. I'll reach out to you if you are the lucky uh, game winner based on the 20 games on this list, and we'll announce it next week. So Excellent. Awesome stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely your podcast, and we're so glad that you're joining us here this week because we could talk about games you love because that's awesome. And then, you know, every once in a while, there's that troll game, right, Anthony? There's What's, what's that troll <laughs> game that everyone talks about? Yeah, yeah. Every game. year, Monopoly makes it into the top fifty. I don't know <laughs> who are you people. Who are you? I don't. I don't know who like the ten people voting for Monopoly are. But knock it off. Don't do that. No, we're, we're not. I don't amused. believe you. <laughs> Even people who you know play Monopoly, honestly, they're like, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not your favorite game. What do you know? No, no, no. I don't I don't even care. Like every once in a while on TV you see people like they own like a Monopoly collection. It's like 500 games of Monopoly like still not your favorite game. I don't care. What, <laughs> I don't care what you did, man. Like you decided you want to collect you wanted to collect something. I understand that. I got Funkos. I get it. But that's not your favorite thing. I'm sorry. Just can't. No. Not yeah, going to do it's it. It's just not. You're lying. Stop lying. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that's the baseline. Spoiler alert, it's not on the top 20. Do not need to worry. No. If it made the top 20, we might have to make an executive decision. Although it might be funny (laughs) if I leave it on there and just say it and don't tell Chris it's coming. I don't know. Oh, no. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Oh, no. I don't. I got to. Wait a minute. I have power to stop this podcast. I'm going to pull this this podcast to the side of the road and stop this and have a talking to you with you people. No. Monopoly, No. The landlord game that it was originally based on, and this wonderful woman had, had created it way back in the day and had it stolen and co-opted, which is 
really weird and twisted and like would make an amazing movie, that game I would play. This one, not so much. That being said, <laughs> we will get to that list in our feature review. So hang on with us. It's going to be the best list ever because it's your list. So just hang on. We're going to get we're going to get there. We're getting there. But Anthony, until we get there, we want to get to the other thing that our listeners are talking about. What's our question of the week? All right. Question of the week this week, uh, courtesy of Reddit. I saw this question over there and I was Ooh. like, that's a great question. I'm going to take that it. That Reddit person, that person does a thing. I'm telling you. Reddit's Reddit sometimes he he's a cranky dude, but sometimes he's got ideas. Yeah, uh, drop it. So th- this week's question was, when do you decide to buy an expansion? As soon as it's released, <laughs> after you've played it once, when it's on Kickstarter, because of course. Uh, um, we already know Chris's answer to this question. So I don't yes, <laughs> the answer is before before you play the base game. <laughs> <laughs> before you know it exists. It's all on pre-order. I used, to go pre-order. My, I used to go into my local game store and I would have games like Imperial Assault was one where I'm like, just put me on subscription. He's like, for anything? I'm like, for anything. If it says anything. Star Wars on it, give it to me. <laughs> He's like, you don't want to check before? I'm like, yeah, just all of it. Uh, when the game store owner is making fun of you, it's not a good sign. So <laughs> um, we got a lot of good answers here. I can't read all of them because they're a little lengthy. People have a process that they go through when they're paying for, you know, choosing expansions, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to see all of these, there's a good... 15 or so like lengthy, interesting answers here. Nice. Head over to the Facebook page and check them out. Um, they're all up there. Very but sweet. Just knock out a few here. Uh, and thank you again to everybody who responded. We've got Tommy says, one, play the base game multiple times to make sure it has legs. Two, expansion has to expand the story. For example, new spirits for Spirit Island. And then three blows my mind. Must be able to acquire from a local game store or online vendor. He has never backed a Kickstarter and never will. I I didn't even believe him. And I'm like, no, I guess it's possible. But that's so many games you've not backed. And then some of the, I mean, most of them you can get in retail eventually, I guess. But whew, Tommy, you have supreme willpower, my friend. <laughs> so. Tommy is the chosen one. We, we, we found the chosen one. We've been looking for many years. Now yeah. we know. Mm-hmm. If, if we ever decide we're ready for that intervention, we got to call Tommy. So. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> it's got the magic touch. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Stephanie says, if it's a game we love and want more of, and we uh-huh. hear the expansion is good, then we are interested. Uh, they rarely buy expansions, though. It, some exceptions to this were Champions of Midgard Big, Big Box and Istanbul Big Box. Uh, and they did trade to get Orleans with trade and intrigue. Um, but can count how many expansions they have on just a few fingers. So everybody's got willpower out here. I don't know what's going on. Let's see if wow. we can find people more like us. I don't <laughs> <Thank> know. <God. laughs> are we the drama? Are we the problem? Seriously. <laughs> I think we are. Oh my God. This is really embarrassing now. I can't look, can't look directly at the screen. Why do we do this on video? This is not a video project. This was purely audio. We're supposed to be anonymous. The heck man. Come on. All right. Well, David's got you back here. David says, as soon as I own a game, every expansion should follow, regardless of the actual need for it. Five to six player expansions when I only play two player games and are still must much purchase must purchases. So uh, he knows it doesn't make sense, except David, it does. We get you. <laughs> We're on the same One page. of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, Tom says, if it's on Kickstarter, uh, do, 
doesn't always choose to buy the expansion, but if it's part of the deal, we'll go in on it. I think mm-hmm. we all know how that is. Yeah. Uh, outside of Kickstarter, I'll buy an expansion if I really like the base game and play it enough to warrant something new, or if it has sure. been deemed essential. So essential expansions are automatically in Underwater Cities, Terraforming Mars, uh, and then all of the Age of Steam maps apparently are also okay. Cool. Got those. Nice. Yeah. And then uh, one more here. David says, uh, the answer for me is that it depends. If I love a game, it's probably on automatic pre-order. And if the game is on Kickstarter and I'm into it, I probably back it out of FOMO. Yep. (laughs) Uh, When I first came into the hobby, I would generally only back it once I had played the base game quite a bit and I could see what the expansion would add. Sadly, now it's more of a reflexive action. Yeah. I think David's answer kind of reflects where I'm at. When I first started, I was very much like, I want to make sure I'm going to play the content before I buy it because it's yeah. expensive. And now it's just, especially because I've been conditioned by companies like Z-Man and Fantasy Flight. They're like, we're going to release an expansion. There's like 300 copies. If you don't get it, it's out of print for 10 years. And then you've got to buy the deluxe version to get all the stuff. Uh, Ultimate Railroads. So I'm like, I'll cool. just buy it reflexively just to have it. Like I have three more expansions for Clinic on the way. I have not even gone through all the modules I have for Clinic now. And there's like 10 and I'm going to have another 30. I don't need 40 expansions for clinic. What am I doing? But <laughs> it's a good game, but I don't need 40 modules. It's crazy. I know. Like I don't, I haven't even bought the last expansion. You sent me the link and I'm like, I don't, uh, I, I got the last one and I backed the last Kickstarter, but I'm just like, what am I? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> How many possible things could you have inside a hospital? I mean, like, what are we missing? Like even the first game, the deluxe version of it seemed excessive. And now it's just like more. I don't, I don't know what to do with more. I just don't. I know that first extension had zombies already there. You already got to zombies on expansion one. We're up to <laughs> number five. I think there's five. I don't, what else is there? You've already gotten to zombies. What are you doing? Like, yeah. I mean, is there, it's like literally, is there Cthulhu in there? Like, what are we missing? Cause I don't, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like there's fire extinguishers and there's teleporters and there's like, I don't, I just, <laughs> if you, if yeah. you know, please let us know because I don't know. It's, it's a thing. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to everybody else who responded again. I'm sorry if I didn't read your answer. A lot of really good answers on here. Lengthy ones, detailed, and we really appreciate that. Uh, if, if you're listening and want to read them all, check out the Facebook. They're all up there. Yeah, again, remember, please, Facebook and Twitter for our question of the day. And again, obviously, there's so much good stuff up there. So please jump over there, take a look, comment, subscribe, smash the like button, all those kind of crazy things. But most importantly, talk to your fellow gamers out there or talk to us because you got to talk us down. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Everyone's is is far, far better well adjusted than we are. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Don't don't feel awkward at all now. But uh, speaking of awkward, Anthony, let's let's imagine a situation where I don't know you wanted a board game and you didn't have it yet. Right, right, Some right. people might call it an acquisition disorder. Why don't just why don't you mm. tell us about your acquisition disorder this week? It's so much. I just whew. it's been a long <laughs> fall, you guys. And I'm in, I'm in a new city, and there's <laughs> disease everywhere. So I haven't played a lot of games, and yet more games keep showing up in the mail. And then I go on Kickstarter. I'm like, that's kind of cool looking. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> and I'd blame the podcast, but it would happen anyways. It, it would happen anyways. So, I hear you. Uh, 
the game this week that I'm looking at, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I might end up backing. It's called Steam Up, a feast for a feast of dim sum. And the reason this one kind of shot up the list is because it, it got a plug from Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, Quentin was all about it. They did a preview. Uh, the game itself is about dim sum collection and like table presence wise, it looks amazing. You have a, a t- you know, this round, it's a square board with like a round center and then all the little dim sum. Uh, and excuse me, cause I don't actually know like the specific terms for everything. So I don't want to sound stupid here, but all the little dim sum plate cover things uh, and they stack up and you add all the little different types of food, which are little acrylic pieces into the, the steamers and you're trying to collect the most stuff, right? So you're quite literally building out a dim sum plate here on, on the central table. Uh, it's not represented by cards. It's not represented by tokens. It's little plastic bits. You stack up. It's really cute. Um, the game itself looks to be fairly light, you know, less than an hour. Uh, it's been a finalist and award winner and a bunch of like independent game design competitions. Uh, the designers are all new first time designers out of Canada. So they're not, you know, they don't have a pedigree necessarily, but they've been shopping the game around and people played it. And obviously a lot of good things have come out of that. So I, it's, it's looks very interesting. So the game plays, you are going to be playing as one of the 12 Chinese Zodiac animals. Each of them has a unique ability. So it's variable player powers and all that goodness. Um, you have the steamers in front of you and you can, you know, feast on the dim sum that's in front of you based on the board position. Uh, so it's going to rotate around. Like I said, there's that round piece in the middle of the square. And so it moves around like a dim sum table. It's so cool. Uh, and then you're going to gain and spend the food tokens. And those are going to go into, you know, the centerpieces. So um, it looks very cute. It looks like a lot of fun. I'm super interested to, uh, Check this one out. So uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. I think it's up there for another nine days or so. Um, if you want the little fancy uh, <laughs> 3D bits, it's the deluxe version of the game. If you get yeah. the base version of the game, it's $47, which seems not terribly insane for what you're getting. It's probably a little high, but with prices the way they are now, it's probably about right. Mm-hmm. But if you want the deluxe version, which of course you do, or on Kickstarter, what are you doing? Back the deluxe, yeah. uh, sixty-three dollars, and so that's like the spot finish on the box. You get the custom molds for the seventy-five little bits. They're squishy, so that's fun. Um, you get like <laughs> thicker cardboard boards for your animals. You get little meeples for each of the animals. Those are very cute looking as well, um, and just general upgrades across the board. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm super interested in this. It's it's really cute. It looks interesting. It's a unique theme. I love food themed games, like, mm-hmm. but a lot of them end up having timers in them for some reason. Yeah, they're all about making the food, and I'm like, I don't want to be stressed out about food. It's food. It's supposed to be relaxing, <laughs> right? Uh, this one looks like it's more in the latter end. So I'm gonna keep my eye on this. I might check this one out. I looked at this, but again everything again the gameplay i'm sure is fine but it really is one of those games that i can't imagine if you're going to back this that you're not backing the you know the full size super right. deluxe kind of version of this just because i think I, I it's the aesthetic of it all right it's 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 just being able to 
stack up all the dim sum and having all the different pieces at, at play. So I can't, I just can't, I'm sorry. Like, again, it, there's, you know, there's, there's certain, you know, aesthetics to games that are, I, I think are just necessary. I just think that it, the game certainly loses something. And if the game is, is there to thematically depict something, I think you do need the pieces. And I think in this case you do. And it's just a little too expensive for that. This is just another one of these perfect Kickstarter games where it's like the, the animation, the artwork, um, it's all very good. I can't see backing it despite like, again, you, you get those stackable steamers, like these really nice mm-hmm. wooden pieces here. And then to put the little cardboard tokens inside of them, is just yeah. like, I don't like, I don't know why, why would you do that? Just like you need the squishies, yeah. You yeah, do yeah, need right. the squishies, and it, it it just plays it plays well into the game because you know just just to be able to p- pull the squishies out of the, you know the steamer trays and just no, come on, no, no. So yeah, I mean, I just it's just a little again. It's one of those situations where like if it was somewhat reasonably priced or it wasn't on Kickstarter, the three D components would be and the game would be reasonably priced but in this case it's just it's a little much um but it's hard, it's it's sad actually yeah, yeah. it's hard to say too because it, it is a lot of money right because with the shipping is like 20 bucks because they're yeah. shipping out of canada so it, it's a lot of money to get it here for the deluxe edition you end up paying 84 dollars total mm-hmm. but it is a first-time company so you do wonder like sure is, is that part of it did they expect it to be this successful when they were pricing it out who knows um, it's also hard to know right now how much of pricing is taking into account supply chain issues in general. Like I feel sure. like a lot of, there is a lot of inflation happening right now in the world, let alone on Kickstarter. So I don't know what's a reasonable price for a game right now, but you're right. $84. You're like, oh, I don't know. That's, it's a it's, tough sell. And it's hard too, because like you said, you want it, like Kickstarter is there too. And you want to support for first time designers. But when you're paying a lot of money for a game, it's really hard to justify that cost because you're worried that it might fall through because it is a first time designer. So it's just that is like very true. Yeah. half of this and half of the other. Um, I don't know. Anyhow, uh, Kickstarter that is, I guess, <laughs> in some ways the opposite of this is Fantasy Flight because they produce everything <laughs> and also are kind of like on the edge of falling apart any second. But nonetheless, they produce everything and you will get it, but again, it's one of those situations where eh, you never know, because, uh, you know, issues. Well, I want to talk about a game that <clears throat> I never thought that I would be particularly interested in, and that's honestly because it's Cthulhu, man. Uh, this is unfathomable. This is the game that's basically the Cthulhu version of Battlestar Galactica, so Battlestar Galactica was kind of this really interesting like moment in time and confluences of forces where somehow a sci-fi IP with all of the properties, all of the legal things were aligned and they actually made an outstanding game. Like, unnet- like it should not have happened because it was an IP. It was a traitor mechanic, so it had some social deduction to it. And again, the you know you're trying to depict these complicated political machinations, but also at the same time space battles, and and somehow Fantasy Flight did this you know like 
again, a really phenomenal job about being able to put it all together and then having, you know, increasingly successful expansions that made the game even better. And then it went out of print, of course, because of course it did. So being that everyone is freely allowed to use Cthulhu, which seems like in some ways Cthulhu's plan to begin with, that somehow if there's enough Cthulhu in the world, it will raise Cthulhu from the from the deep. <laughs> but Unfathomable uh, is all about the passengers and crew of the SS Atlantica, this maiden, I, I, I guess, sail, this kind of Titanic type of ship, where it's all about this trader mechanic again, where you may be human or you may be a hybrid. You might be one of these deep one, you know, minions that is trying to sink the ship as two of the deep ones, you know, attack it from the outside. So again, if you ever play Battlestar Galactica, this is pretty much the same where the Cylons were attacking. But in this case, it's Mother Hydra and Father Dagon. And they're trying to take the ship from the outside. And then again, obviously, if you are one of the hybrids, you are trying to sabotage the ship from the inside so it sinks and doesn't get across to Boston. But if you're one of the humans, you're trying to save the ship and obviously all that kind of fun stuff. So for this kind of mechanic, this works really well. This is like a study in Emerald back in the day where it was very similar kind of trade mechanic, but... The Battlestar Galactica theme, you know, as far as like not knowing your fellow passengers so much and how they have their own kind of like, uh, let's, let's, let's say is like, I wouldn't say dastardly, <laughs> but they have their own agenda now. So it's, it's really a fun mechanic. It's a well done production here. And again, Fantasy Flight does deliver. So Unfathomable uh it's out there <laughs> just be very careful because it's another <laughs> cthulhu game so maybe it's like i don't know like beetlejuice or Candyman. if you say it three times or if you produce 300 versions of it it actually comes true so the uh the rule book is up so you could take a look at it if you never played the Battlestar galactica game or if you were interested in any kind of these trading mechanics i highly recommend taking a look at unfathomable all right yeah it- this one's hard for me. Like, I love Battlestar Galactica. I really wanted them to retheme it, but this is the absolute last theme I would have asked for. And it makes perfect sense the way they did it. it. It's perfectly integrated. You're like, oh man, they nailed it on the theme. I don't want this. I don't want to play it. I have no interest in it whatsoever. Could have been anything else, and I would have been in on it. And that's me speaking for me because there's millions of people who are ex- super excited about this, and good for them. I'm, I'm glad they get a chance to play because Battlestar was amazing, but. I'm disappointed because I wanted to get it and now I cannot. (laughs) How many LCG Cthulhu things do you have? How many? Okay. But here's the thing. (laughs) You're right. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. (laughs) I I just Just don't want to. Everyone just clip out where Anthony says I'm right. And just use that in all your future TikToks. That's all I'm asking. Right. (laughs) I want to see that right. blow up where just Anthony goes, Great. You're, you're right. Just That's all I'm asking for in life. Simple, simple, simple. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Check out those games because, again, crazy, fun things that you might be interested in. Um, some are more squishy than others, but, you know, both are from the <laughs> sea. So, I don't know. Yeah. Could, yeah. Maybe one of those hybrid fish people could end up 
in a steam tray. Who knows? That's possible too. Actually, uh oh, I'm giving them ideas. That's going to be the next. That's going to be the next food game. It's going to be Cthulhu based. One million oh, no. percent. What are you doing? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Cut this. Cut this from this podcast. It'll be like a sushi market with Cthulhu in the back. No, it's no good. There you go. <laughs> it's where Cthulhu eats you. <laughs> Don't eat fish. They're friends, especially since they're friends of Cthulhu, because eventually you'll end up on the sushi market. All right. So those are the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table. And we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy, they should pick them up. Those games are a play. They should sit down and play them. Those games are dodge. Avoid them. Those games are the dreaded burn, and they should be burned and dropped to the deepest part of the sea. Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right, so I got out to the table uh, and, and worked my way through Cocopelli. This is a game Very from good. Stefan Feld. It nice. was on Kickstarter sometime last year, I think. It was, yeah. Um, from Queen Games. And it was like they ran their big, huge, give us $400 for all Stefan Feld <laughs> stuff. And then like two months later, they're like, also, we have this other game that we did not deluxify at all. But if you want it, here you go. <laughs> It was fantastic. Um, I was like, and, what, are you, what are you doing? Why? <laughs> I just threw money at you. I have no more money to throw at you. I know. Yeah. It's, and so I backed it because I was getting all things stuff on Feld. They've broken that now. So they're going to save me money in the future. Like I wouldn't. Well, we'll get to my review on Cocapelli. But it's, it was very much a, well, it's stuff on Feld. So I have to back it. And that's why yes. I backed it. No, right? I, I didn't I, even I know what that. it was. Right. So <laughs> gameplay. Let's talk yeah, about yeah, gameplay, because yeah. that's sure, the point sure, of the sure. game, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, there is There are 16 different types of cards in the game, right? Yes. These each represent ceremonies. Uh, so there are 16 of them. You're going to play with 12. And there, each of those 12 ceremonies is going to have cards that you're going to put into your deck, along with some Cocopelli cards, which are wilds. Right, So you shuffle up your deck, you have 36 cards in your deck, and then you are going to draw five to start, mm-hmm. but in the future, if you want to draw cards, it's an action to do so. On your turn, you have two actions, five options with which to do stuff, and so you can draw cards, start a new ceremony, which means placing a card down for the first time, um, as long as there is not already a ceremony of that type in your play area. Your play area, and this is interesting, you have a player board in front of you with four spaces on it, but your play area also includes the two locations on either side to the left and the right of you. So you can play cards onto your opponent's boards. Mm. You can't start a ceremony on their boards unless you have a special power in play, but you can play cards over there, which there's reasons you might want to do that. Um, you can also play cards onto existing ceremonies mm-hmm. because that's how you complete the ceremonies. Um, or you can cancel a ceremony if you decide you don't want the cards out there anymore. So you, you basically are just cycling through your deck. You're trying to get these cards out. You're trying to complete different ceremonies. When you complete a ceremony, which is placing four cards on it, you will score points based on the ceremonies in the middle of the table. So you have all... 10, 12 of those ceremonies that are out there, uh, depending on player count. And you'll have victory points stacked on top of them. So the first person to complete one gets four points. Second person gets three. After that, you get one. Uh, the And that's basically the game, right? That's all you're doing. You're just trying to cycle through these, get these all out. The game ends when those ceremonies are complete in the middle or someone's deck is empty and they can't draw cards in the future, right? 
Um, so if they get through all 36 cards. The thing that makes the game a little unique and a little bit of a twist is that each of the ceremonies, when you put them in front of you, will have some kind of special ability on it. So there are, and they're all unique, right? So mm-hmm. which whichever ceremonies you are currently running with, the ones that are in front of you, those are your player powers at that moment, right? And so they're going to change throughout the game. And mm-hmm. so this is the reason why it's interesting why people can play on top of your ceremonies is you could have a player power out that says you get an extra point every time you complete ceremonies. And someone else says, wow, that's annoying. You're making a lot of extra points. I'm going to place stuff on there and complete it. And when they complete it, they're going to get the points for completing it. But also you lose that power because they just took it away from you because they, they got it off of your player board. Um, there are, again, like a bunch of these. There's ones that let you play multiple cards at, this, at once. There's ones that let you uh, draw cards and play them immediately. You can play cards to more of your player, your opponent's areas, kind of expand outward a little bit. Uh, you can draw extra cards when you draw cards. You can play cards to different ceremonies at the same time. You get the idea. Like they're all unique and different. And you're going to have some combination of, you know, up to four of these. And in a two player game, you can have five of these that will be active at any given time based on the cards that you have out. And that that's where all the strategy comes in. Right. But the thing is, because you're drawing cards from a deck, you can't always control which ones are available. Other people can take them away from you. You could plan for two turns in the future, and then all of a sudden it's gone because someone else is like, I'm going to throw a couple wilds on that, and now you're done, and I took your points. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, and, and that's fine because that's part of the game. That's the whole point of the game. But it does make it, you're constantly changing. Like the powers you have in front of you are going to constantly shift, and you're eventually going to want to complete your own ceremonies as well if you can because they're worth points. So it's definitely a game I think you need to play with a full player count. Uh, you need four players because you want to be able to interact with two people on either side of you. And everybody should have that where, and I guess with three people, you could also do that, but then there like weird overlap happens. So it, it kind of has that little bit of a, I don't know, almost like seven wonders vibe of you're constantly interacting with the people right next to you. Um, at the same time, it plays quickly. And yet at the same time, feels like it drags a little bit because you are still trying to get through those 36 cards you're not building an engine or anything. You're just putting out ceremonies, trying to take advantage of that ability until they're gone and then putting out different ones and trying to score points. Right. It's a, it's a weird spin on a game, especially from Stefan Feld. Like, There's no point salading. You're only scoring points from like two or three possible things. It's, it seems like an idea that maybe got jotted down on the back of a napkin. And he was like, that's pretty <laughs> clever. And like, we need a theme and a game to go around. And he's like, I don't know this. And then they, they built it and they're like, all right, it's fine. Let's just put it out. And that's why I just got thrown up as a random Kickstarter on its own. And I'm, I'm making it sound worse than it is. Cause I didn't hate it. It's fine. It's a perfectly decent game. It's like in that low to mid tier level of Stefan fell games. We are like happy to have played this. I will play it again. Sure. And I would be perfectly fine with having bought it. If I didn't spend $72 to get it. <laughs> so, Cause what? it was not, that's with the shipping on the Kickstarter, it was $72. So it's just, this is it, man. Like these games come in and I play them and that's just like reinforces for me. Like stop buying stuff on Kickstarter, you crazy human being. Um, Cause this is, this is the definition of a play game for me. This is like a six and a half, a seven out of 10. Yeah. It's fine. I'm happy with it. I'll keep it, it's whatever. But it's just, 
what are we doing? What is yeah. this? <laughs> That's a shame. Yeah, I'm not. Again, <clears throat> I don't hate it. I don't. It, it it's it's a little bit more of a buyer's remorse kind of a thing. I think at this point than anything yeah. else. You know, and especially now that I'm like, I don't need to own all Stefan Feld's games. I'm like, oh, I didn't need to buy this then. <laughs> so, um, I, I do wish I had not purchased the game, but I don't hate it, and I, I will play it again, and I'll hold on to it because I think it's a game I could play with the kids. Like, it's pretty simple. Each card you need to read it once, and then you know what it does. Uh, and they do have symbols on them to kind of help you out, and it does have some clever ideas in it, which are fun to play around with. And I think because there are more ceremony types in the game than you will play with, you know, you have 16 and you're only going to play with 12 or 10 in a two player game. Then it becomes, there's a decent amount of replayability to it. Sure. Like I could easily see somebody sitting down and playing this and coming out and being like, this game's fantastic. I just didn't feel that way. Like I didn't feel like I got quite enough out of it. Um, so there you go. That's uh, Cocopelli. Yeah, it's Cocopelli. It's a play. I don't know. It was crazy expensive, though. So not worth it. Not worth the money. <laughs> well, maybe it becomes one of those games that since it was Kickstarter that so few people get it, that becomes like incredibly, you know, expensive and hard to get later on. Because like you said, there are those expansions and games where it's like as we see with a lot of Grail games. They're usually not as good as advertised. You know, like they they built a, a mystique and a lore around them. And they're like, they're fine. They're just fine. You know, like you said, they're like a six or a seven kind of situation. I remember seeing this and actually being kind of annoyed because it was one of those things, like you said, this was after their super big, you know, Kickstarter that came out. And they're like, and we want another $72 from you. Yeah. And I was just like, but this one has nothing really upgraded. So why are you doing this? Like, please don't, don't make me buy a game like this. So uh, yeah, no, but it's, it's Feld. I mean, Feld has such a good track record. That's hard to believe that it actually wouldn't go well. So I don't know. Yeah. Game's fine. I mean, again, I don't want to oversell my reservations here. Like I'm perfectly happy with it for the quality and weight of the game. And it's honestly what I expected. I just think, at this point in my collecting, I'm just I'm done with this type of like meh game that I pay out out too much money for, right? It's too yeah. much money. And like the Kickstarter upgrades were like a game trays thing, which I'm gonna remove because stuff doesn't really fit in it properly. <laughs> and then the acrylic Cocapellis, which are nice, but I yeah. haven't actually quite figured out what they're for yet. <laughs> so Jeez. um you know, and there was an expansion that came with it. Uh, I have not played with that, so I, I don't actually know what that adds to the game. Which hopefully, you know, adds even more variability. That is the one thing the game has going for it. It has a lot of variability and is a clever mechanic. It's just there's no other game built around that mechanic. That's all you're doing is with the cards, and it's just gotcha. it just didn't quite do enough for me. All right, so that's everything that hit the table this week. Now on to our feature review. Our feature review this week is, again, our favorite feature review because it's your favorites, our listeners' top 20. So with that said, Anthony has tabulated, retabulated, shook it up and down, spun it around like a top, and rolled a d20 multiple times. And Anthony, what is our listeners' top 20? Yeah, so here we go. We got 20 games. Uh, Again, 
we take all of your top 10 lists. We weight everything based on where you place them in your top 10s. We add them up. We spit it out. And this <laughs> is the list we get. There is some combining done here. You'll, we'll, I'll mention it when it happens. But certain versions or editions or iterations of games, people will sometimes specify with or without a certain expansion. They tend to get clustered together. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but there are other times when we do separate it out. And I, we will make sure to, to let you all know when that happens. But... Number 20 on the list is uh-huh. one that has been mentioned to us several times in comments because we com- comment on it frequently about the issues it had on Kickstarter. And that's Barrage. Uh, Barrage! From and I did <laughs> finally play this with my gamer friends back in Pittsburgh like a month or so before I moved. And it is very good. Uh-huh. Like playing it properly, understanding what I'm supposed to do and not having a bunch of broken pieces in the box. Good game. It's just a shame it took so long to get there for me. <laughs> well, I, I remember playing it for the very first time with all the broken pieces and really bad rules and everything else, and I liked it. So, I mean, it's good that it's here because, again, it's a very ambitious game. I think that's the you know the best thing you could say about it. Like, it really does incorporate so many fantastic mechanics, and it goes all out. Like, this is a you know a world it's not just like oh you move a little piece or you do a thing this is like giant wheels and you know water and electricity and you're blocking things and you're moving things and you're it's just it really is you could almost feel like it's a heavy lift yeah. and I, I appreciate that yeah it's brutally complex too and when yes. you fall behind early you fall behind early like it feels like a <laughs> euro <laughs> yeah uh, all right so number 19 on the list this is one where i kind of combine things a little bit uh pandemic legacy so sure. for the most part, most people said season one. Some people reference season. Nobody said only season two. Some people said season one and two. And I think one person might have said season zero. But for the most part, we'll just lump them together. Pandemic Legacy, emphasis season one. That seems to be the consensus favorite. And, you know, having gone through this myself, only season one. I have not played two or zero. Uh, it's fantastic. It's just great, great gaming experience. And it's the best version of pandemic that you can play sure the challenge of course being you can only play it once so like it's fallen down every year on my top 100 because i haven't played it now in four years and i won't because i'm not going to play through it again uh but it's still up there for a lot of people very cool all right number 18 Uh, i know this one's very high on your list chris underwater cities from our buddy vladimir Suchi. It was my number one game of all time last year. Woo! <laughs> Which means it still is. It still is. It's 2021. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Underwater Cities, again, continues to impress me. It's its depth, its complexity, its uh, you know variety. And honestly, what really kept it on that list and moved it up even more so was the expansion. The expansion yeah. with the dual set bars that you could actually put the pieces in the you know all the extra kind of mechanics that come into play I, I mean it's just a great game i mean again like there's so many other good games in that genre this one is just the tightest of them all and it really lets you explore so yeah underwear cities nice pick people love it yeah <laughs> i 100 concur with everything you just said <laughs> yeah all right number 17 on the list gaia project so we've had Terra Mystica on the list before in the past. Uh, Gaia Project passed it, I think, last year. And now Terra Mystica is not on the list, but Gaia Project still very much is. <gasps> and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. It's a very really? finely tuned, well-balanced game. Terra Mystica, obviously, 
you know, famously kind mm-hmm. of out of the box, not super balanced, but still interesting. Sure. Uh, Gaia Project solo mode is just one of the best solo modes in a Euro game period, which don't don't shake a stick at that. That matters a lot because these games are hard to get to the table. So if you have a really good solo mode, more people play them more often. I personally haven't played this multiplayer in three years, but I've played it solo two or three times a year over that time. Nice. So that's why it's still in my top 20. Uh, yeah, it just, it's a fantastic game and the way they tweak it and adjust it and optimize it uh, with a the new theme is perfect. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's always been hard with that game because I love the world building in Terra Mystica and I love the artwork and both of those things are kind of missing from the Gaia Project. Mm. And yet at the same time, the Gaia Project is just mechanically better. There's, I don't think there's any debating that. No, it solves the problems that Terra Mystica has. Yeah. Even if you don't think they're problems, you're like, well, this does it better. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who listening to this, be like, no, Terra Mystica is a better game. And I'm like, you're not wrong because this is all subjective. But yeah, a lot of people see Gaia Project as a better game. And we have a couple other things on this list we're going to have that same conversation about. So <laughs> it comes up. Um, but yeah, Gaia Project, fantastic. Number 17. Nice. Uh, number 16 on the list, and this is another one where the original game was on our list in the past and now no longer is, Uh-oh. Seven Wonders Duel. <gasps> the two-player only version of Seven Wonders is up here at 16. Seven Wonders itself fell down a fair bit. I think it's, it was in the 40s. So, yeah, what do we think? This is one of my favorite two-player games. Oh, yeah, it's one of my favorite two-player games, too. And it's had two expansions. And I really do feel that both expansions are very good. So it's one of those weird situations. I guess the only thing is, just in generally, like two-player games inhabit a very interesting pocket of the universe where they just don't get the exposure that all the other games will because it's not a game night game. It's not a bring the people together. This is a two-player situation it's a head-to-head it's a little more aggressive which for you know euro games you typically don't really involve as much so uh i like the expansions a lot the second one in particular and Mm. i will always play this game just i I mean the expansions i think just add so much more to the game than than we've had previously but no i'm not surprised i'm not surprised at all that it's this far back because again, it's just that very niche kind of situation where two players, but two players who can really play. Yeah. Seven Wonders Duel is not a game that you could just throw random cards at the table like like they do currently with the Architect version that just came out. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, this is very much uh, for for gamers to play in between other games. Yes. Uh, number fifteen on the list, Teotihuacan. So mm-hmm. the the epic pyramid building game from Tashini. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. which had another new expansion come out sometime in the last six months. I have it. I haven't played it with it yet because <laughs> moving, um, but it's sitting here somewhere. And so at this point, this game actually has a lot of content. There are three or four expansions in Yeah, you have variable player powers. Now you have multiple different solo bots. You have sideboards, additional temple tracks. It's like not a lot of euros get this much expansion. And no. here we are with this game now, which is just sprawling. I'm actually kind of surprised because, again, it's one of those games that, like, it see it seems like it it had its day, and they and they went on to make other tea themed games. But since this game is still so active, 
and dynamic, it's almost like sucked the energy away from anything else in their collection. Yeah, yeah, there's been two other ones since this one, um, Trismegistus and then Takinu. And yeah. they're both good games. Yeah. Takinu in particular is a really yeah, good game. And it just, you know, it just kind of came out and faded away pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's a shame because I, I think they're both solid. I always thought Trismegistus needed an expansion. Takinu, <laughs> I only played it once because it came out during the stupid COVID. So, <laughs> um, but Teo is, is still one of my favorite games of all time. So it's, I, I'm glad to see it up here uh, and think it does a good job. Nice. Number 14, favorite of mine, infamously not a favorite of yours, Feast for Odin. Uh-oh. We, uh. we had a long conversation. Go to uh. YouTube. Go to YouTube. <laughs> look up Board Gamers Anonymous, Uwe Rosenberg. And there's a good 20 minutes of that video ded- dedicated to three games. Feast and for strange, Odin. And strangely enough, Feast for Odin takes about the same, <laughs> just same amount of time. It's like hours to play the game because the pieces are double-sided and they don't make any sense how they're shaped. So Okay, okay, okay. Watch the video. Watch the video. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing is people don't really defend me on this one. They're like, yeah, I don't know. I could take it or leave it. The one they defend me on is Newsfjord. They're like, Chris, you're insane that you don't like Newsfjord. You're crazy. That's not on our list, but watch the video. It's, it's fine. Fun. It's fine. It's it's great. just it's a fun. It's a fun. It's it's a generic game. It's it's a generic it's... Uwe Rosenberg game. <laughs> That's all it is. We got a video. Now, got now a video. if you want to, if you want to plant some vegetables in Iceland in a, in a greenhouse, then. No. There no, no, you no. go. <laughs> See, we didn't have people shooting off in the comments about how we're wrong about that one. They're it's both the same. They're both the same not, game. They're both nah, generic nah. Uve games. They're like nope. Uve. They're like basic Uve games. That's all they are. No, no one, no one's going to remember those games when they disappear. I'm just. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I will. No, nope. where are my tiny little metal coins? Little nah, tiny metal coins. Yeah. All right, moving on. Moving on. Uh, number thirteen, mm-hmm. Pax Premier Second Edition from Cole Worley and Worley Good Games. This is. Just a fantastic reimplementation of an old game. Like mm-hmm. the old game was inaccessible. It was hard to learn. It was in a little tiny box. It just not many people had it. Not many people played it, and it was difficult to get out. The second edition just fixed everything. Beautiful artwork, beautiful cloth board, all these little monolith things you put out there as the roads and the troops. Just fantastic game all around. Yeah, again, it's another one of those games that the way that how they brought that game back out really did um did a good some good right a solid good it, it was the game of the moment for for quite some time and it did get a lot of play out there and it's just one of those situations where I'm, I'm i'm really glad that i had the opportunity to play it because i wouldn't have played it otherwise and i really enjoyed it it's a very dynamic challenging game so yeah yeah absolutely yeah and one of the things i think it does best and we're seeing this more and more in games in general, is it treats its theme with respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these games are like, oh, there's a war. Let's take that. And there's these factions and then they do these <laughs> yeah. cool things. And more and more, it's we're kind of coming to the conclusion, like, that's not really okay. Like, you need to do the research and build the the, the, the characters in the world or whatever it is you're doing with respect. And Pax Premier mm-hmm. really does that. So It's true. Uh, number 12. Man, why is Agricola got to be the Feast for Odin, guys? I'm telling you, because the people have good taste. They have nah. the taste. 
The people have no. spoken. Agricola. There's like a 10 point difference, by the way, in the voting. So I think the people are just like, they're the same. No, the no, same no, 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 <laughs> uh, no. Come on. Agricola. Agricola is his magnus opus, right? I mean, it's, it is sustenance farming. It is misery farming. Misery it farming. Is, Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree it's misery farming. I, I totally do. It's like those people who eat those super hot peppers or hot sauce kind of situations. Like <laughs> you're, you are in a bad spot and you have to literally, I guess, in fig- or figuratively dig your way out of it. Because like you are plowing those fields by flipping tiles and such like that. But you are plowing those fields. You're planting those grains and vegetables and you have all your animals out there and you're trying to feed your family otherwise the world feels like it's coming to an end and somehow you're able to do it and somehow you're able to make a couple of bucks and it really is thematic for the time and for the experience and there is an endless number of like card combinations that you can play because all those different decks that allow you to play with us so many different strategies and anthony i i, I think it's also kind of interesting that we have a quickly here but not or I don't know if I should, you know, spoil it here a little bit because I don't want to spoil it. But uh, ew, man, we don't have Caverna on here. We don't. No. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny because Caverna came out yeah. eight years ago and mm-hmm. it shot up and people were like, oh, this is Agricola refined and better. And then over the years, it's kind of faded back a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And Agricola just yeah. stayed exactly where it was. <laughs> like, it's true. Didn't get up. Didn't go down. It's just like it's steady, steady running. Agricola so. is is definitely an experience. It's definitely a painful experience at times, but it's Uwe Rosenberg's best game. If you haven't played it, please try it. It's going to break your heart a couple of times, but it's worth it. Says you. <laughs> Says the people. Yeah, people. I love you, people. Woo! Got, the people spoken! Yeah, I can't argue <laughs> with the people. All right, all right, all right. So moving on to another game that I'm actually pretty bad at. So I don't know why I like it so much. Uh, Anachrony. Um, there you go. This is a uh, big, sprawling, ridiculously themed, ridiculously overwrought and overly designed uh, worker placement game uh, from mm-hmm. our friends at Mind Clash about time travel and the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really fun. So um, you, sure. you basically charge up your little mechs and you send them out to do stuff. But then you got to get your people back and make sure that they're rested and you have enough water for everything. Uh, obviously the, the centerpiece of this game is the time travel mechanic, which is such a simple thing, but every time someone sees it for the first time, they're like, that's so clever. <laughs> it's not even that clever. It's just no one else thought to do it. It's cool. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mind clash does thematic gameplay. Just they go all out. They throw everything in the kitchen sink in there and, and here. With the miniatures, that miniature expansion really ups the game. And I'm usually not yeah. that kind of person that's advocating for boxes of plastic, but it really does a good job of making you feel like you're in an otherworldly kind of situation. Um, I prefer Tricarion, but Anachrony is great. I own it as well. And again, like you said, that mechanic is just so smart. Like, like you said, Anthony, anytime you teach that game to somebody and then yeah. you just wait for that moment that you teach them that part of it where they can go back, they can take resources from the past, but then they have to pay... If they're just like, whoa, I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, and this is one of those weird, rare games that, and I am I love playing games that I'm not necessarily good at, but this game in particular, I just have not wrapped my head around for some reason. Sure. And 
I will still sit down and play it every time it hits the table because it's just like it's an experience, you know. Uh-oh. All right, so number ten on the list. Uh, it's another kind of classic game that's just always right here, steady, steady running. Uh, mm-hmm. Orleans, and yeah. this is one where some people put in specific expansions that they like. Sure. Uh, Trade and intrigue pops up a lot. Yeah, but I kind of lump them together because Orleans is Orleans and. The yeah. version of it you play is still part of that core game. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not like someone said Altiplano and I threw that in with Orlando. <laughs> that's a different game and it's not as good. Um, no, no, not at all. <laughs> cute llama, but not as good of a game. <sighs> so, yeah, bag building at its best. It's got that, you know, medieval French artwork, which is mm-hmm. still unique. No one else is doing it that way. Uh, I I don't own this anymore because I just never got it to the table, but I would still play it if it if someone's like, we're playing Orleans, I'm like, I'm all in. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I really like this game. Again, it's, it's one of those kind of very subtle kind of pleasures in board gaming that it's just, it's so refined and it's so engaging each step of the way because the bag pulling kind of mechanic, which obviously you've seen a lot lot more games now, but that one is just such such a nice, clean, you know the board, you know what you're going to have an opportunity to take an action with. There really isn't any major big twists and turns. Obviously, the you know what happens that year, that little mini deck kind of, you know, gives a little twist, but never really, never really throws the game. So it's very fine. It's very um, straightforward, interesting game. It, the only thing I will say is that it needs an expansion. Or at the very least, you need to have more technologies. If you play the base game without, at the very least, the additional technologies, it becomes a rail game. Like there is just certain actions better than others. There are certain ways to win the game. Um, but despite that, it's just, it's a phenomenal game. It really is. It's 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 the best game that, at least in my opinion, Tasty Mitchell Games ever put out. So yeah, big fan of Orleans. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like Yokohama being a, a close second for me personally. Sure. Uh, all right, number nine, Viticulture. This is mm-hmm. another one of those games that's just been up here on the list for a very long time. Uh, yeah. Stonemeyer Games put this out way back in the day when they were just getting off the ground. <laughs> it's a tiny little company before they became the, the maker of two games still to come on our list. Uh, so it, it's you know wine growing, it's wine selling, it's wine buying. I I like this game. I always liked this game, but it's another one of those games like Orleans that it just didn't hit the table for me. Um, sure. In terms of like that kind of entry weight worker placement game. And it's not the theme. Like I have Vinos. That's one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. But it's a much heavier take on wine growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. But it is one of those games in the worker placement category that really clicks with a lot of people and especially people who don't like traditional board game themes. You know, like non-gamers are all about this thing. Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to the Agricola situation where there are so many action spots that you want to take that you can't possibly take in one game. So when you get your family of workers out there to to the vineyard, there is that spring, summer, fall, winter mechanic, and you have to save up people, even though each spot is like almost incredibly necessary to win the game. And then you throw in those that giant deck of like different cards that kind of really upend the, you know, your time on the vineyard, all these different guests that come in and kind of give you different radical player powers. It's fun, but it is very kind of swingy. 
those yeah. cards really do swing the game dramatically um, in a fun way, but also in a you know crazy way. And also with you know Stonemeyer's kind of like you have to like race down the track so the game can continue to going for a long time based yeah. upon how everyone else is doing. But just that simple mechanic of aging the wine, moving down that little glass, I guess not necessarily a marble, but just that little glass piece so that you could see it age, you can combine the different ones. It's just it's just a very smart, complete game. The Essential Edition, the Tuscany Edition, I think are the required editions in this game because otherwise uh, you're just, it's, it's a little <laughs> overly chancy and again, swingy, but it does tighten up with the later editions. So I know this is a big game for a lot of people and it's not surprising why. Yep, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Next up on the list, similar category. Uh, in terms of games, it reaches a, a wider audience. It's more sure. accessible. It does a lot of things that we're familiar with in the hobby in terms of mechanics, and it does it in yes. a way that's very accessible to a wide audience. Mm-hmm. And that's Wingspan, also from Stonemaier Games. Yeah, uh, it's you know when it first came out, people compared it to engine builders like Terraforming Mars or something. But it, at this point, it's probably sold three times as many copies as yeah. Terraforming Mars. So sure. we should probably be carrying comparing games to Wingspan. Uh, it's it's just a phenomenon of a game. And mechanically speaking, you know, it did, it never clicked for me quite as much as mm-hmm. some other people. But expansions, additional content, different ways to play the game. Some of the errata over the, over the years has definitely tightened up the game a lot. Sure. Um, it's one I definitely want to revisit because uh, I, I feel like it should be higher on my list personally. I just have not played it as much as I should have since it first came out. Yeah, there. I mean, there is there is those problems. I remember even like being in Jamie's like Q and a section where they're like, Hey, if I put these two cards together, I win the game because it's just, it, they're feeder cards for each other. And right. he's like, yeah, that's, that, that's probably true. That that's probably right. <laughs> and you're just like, Oh no. And it, and I have played that game so many times where you feel like you're playing perfectly and you're managing everything every what you know, so well. And someone has like, you know, stack a card underneath your bird card if he does a thing. And then it's just, it's like rising. And you're like, that's not, that doesn't seem right. But again, like you said, there is, there's been upgrades and changes. The expansions allow different things to happen. So it's not just a one kind of card strategy. So yeah, I think the European edition or European expansion is essential to this. I, the Oceanic, I haven't played yet. So Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure how much more that adds with the nectar and things like that, but it is an incredibly solid, smart, interesting, engaging game. And it, it has honestly thought everything out. I think that's the thing people appreciate about wingspan is like every element of the game down to the, you know, the dice tower is thematically kind of appealing The the bird facts is amazing. So yeah, wingspan you and I went back and forth on this, like the over under. I, I I think it's still growing. I think we, we haven't yeah. seen the end of Wingspan. No, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, number seven on the list. Uh, we talked about Stefan Feld earlier. This is his most famous game, and sure. will probably remain that way despite being one of his earlier games. Crazy Castles of Burgundy. It's crazy because again, I I really like this game. I own the original copy. I've chased down expansions for years and played way too much money for these like separate individual boards only to have the thing reprinted underneath me. And I'm just like, cool. Yeah. And I've bought the digital versions and they do not play exceptionally well. 
And but you know, I'm I'm really surprised. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm guess I'm happy. I mean, I, I I do enjoy Castles of Burgundy, but I'm so surprised that all of the other Feld games did not surpass Castles of Burgundy. I, I don't know what that's about because they're. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? What do you think it is about Castles of Burgundy that's not found in all of his other games? And I mean that all of his other <laughs> games. Yeah, I think it just has the right mix of complexity and accessibility, right? Mm. It's not it's not a crazy complex game with like 500 mechanics and four sideboards and all the things going on, right? It's not a, mm-hmm. a heavier game. Like there's games of his that I really enjoy like Amerigo uh or, or Trajan that do a lot of really cool things, but they're they're bigger, they're harder to teach, they take longer to play. Sure. This game is, you know, you roll your dice and you take one of a selection of actions based on the number on the dice. That's, that's basically it. And you're just trying mm-hmm. to put tiles onto your board. It's surprisingly focused for a Feld game because a lot of his yes. games, they sprawl a little bit. So, yeah. And I like the sprawl, but in this case, the sprawl is contained to that map. So sure. I think that helps a lot, like just mm. purely mechanically. It's it's not the theme. Like nobody's like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> medieval castles in Burgundy rendered very uglily on this little tiles. <laughs> like, that's not it. Um, it's the accessibility of the game. And I think for a long time, the game was really inexpensive. Like you could get yes. this game on Amazon back in the day for 25 bucks. Yeah. I don't know what it costs now, but for like a decent chunky Euro, three and a half weight, like, you there, there aren't many games that fit that and this one was what one of those so yeah I think that this helped. was this was the original point salad game right yeah yeah yep and those scores will run up but it's a funny thing it's like it's a point salad but at the end of the day you're placing tiles onto a map that's all you're sure. doing right and it's just it does a bunch of stuff after that which i think mm-hmm. people like all right number six is uh the newest game on the list uh, by a long shot, this is from last year, and mm-hmm. this this one jumped up on my personal list as well when it came out. Lost Ruins of Arnok. So we've got worker placement, and we got deck building, and we've got exploration of ruins, and it works so well. Just yes, and it it hit the hobby just kind of. It dropped in the middle of the pandemic, so a lot of people were playing this solo. And then once people mm-hmm. started to get it out and play it with each other, and especially once it went up online, where you could play it online with other people. It, like, it just kind of exploded from there. Like, oh my gosh, this game's actually really, really good. It all player counts. <laughs> and now that expansion is like one of the most anticipated things of the year. Uh, I'm not surprised to see it jump up so high. Like it did for me. It might even be a little higher on my list now than it was last year. Sure. And it's one of my favorite solo games in this genre. Like just mm-hmm. deck builder, worker placement type of Euro game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah, I think the expansion is going to rocket it. I, I think, like you said, it came out during the pandemic. I feel like in a lot of ways it was the best game in the pandemic. I'm just saying that without thinking about any other game. But right. that was the game that came out and like everything was good about it. Like just everything was good. It wasn't it wasn't as exceptional as some of the other games, but everything about this game was good. And now that they have the expansion with that asymmetrical player powers, I'm just like, of course you did. Because that makes yeah sense and stuff yeah. like that. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so number five on the list, and we're getting some familiar stuff here. Is Scythe? Uh, we, we've talked about Scythe like four hundred <laughs> times on this podcast. <laughs> I have not played this thing in years, and my copy is actually not even in my main room here. It's in the basement. Mm. Um, I still want to get back to it, but it's just have not had the people if, with interest, and my own interest has waned. So I'll let you speak to it because I think you like this game a lot more than I do. Yeah, I don't know if it was my, 
it was at least my number two at some point. I actually have it right over here. Uh, Scythe was a like really well done Euro game that had some kind of battle mechanics, and that was a major plus and a negative at the same time, but it was so well done that it was like a Nolan movie. Like even though it had plot holes in it, somehow it was still like fantastic. And then they added the two expansions, which neither one of them, like I feel like elevated the game. Like, Oh cool. Two more factions. Love having more factions. Totally down for that. Airships. Excellent. Not as exceptional as I thought they were going to be, but fine. And then, they came out with Rise of Fenris, and I was like, okay, this is a great game now. Like, this is, like, no questions. The fact of the customization of your faction and the additional factions that come in in that kind of game and how radically different they are from each other, it just, it really upped the game to the next level. So, again, and I would say this to you, Anthony, I know I've said this to you several times, if your love of Scythe has waned, if you do have a copy of this, I know it's expensive. You're right. The writing inside of it is not great. The storytelling is not great. But the mechanical components to Rise of Fenris with Scythe is exceptional. I, I was, I was, I mean, I read through every page of that. I, we played at the game night. I was like, uh huh, uh huh. And then you actually play the game and you're just like, oh my goodness. And then again, like going back to Charterstone, which was supposed to be this game that you played once, like a legacy style game, and then you could play it afterwards. And nobody wanted to play that game after they played it the first time. <laughs> this game, once we played Scythe and we ran through the expansion, as far as like the content, the legacy content's concerned, the pieces that continued with the game really made this game a much better game. So no doubt, no surprise, number five. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Someday I'm going to get back to it. It's going to happen. Someday. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> number four, Spirit Island. Uh, yeah. I'll just say it. Best cooperative game out there, period. Uh, with the expansion content, Jagged Earth, just elevating that to an entire different level. Uh, and yeah, it's just one of my favorite games of all time has been up there for since it came out, effectively. And I played a bunch like the few months before I moved out of Pittsburgh. It kind of hit the table a lot. So it just kind of rediscovered my joy for this game. And so much replayability especially if you have the expansion because you have dozens now of different spirits and different combinations of them uh just a fantastic game excellent totally agree number three gloomhaven uh this was higher on i think both of our lists at one point but it's one of those games that you just it's so much content it's like it's like when someone says you can have as much ice cream as you want. And so for the first 20 minutes, you're like, yeah. And then eventually you're like, I should stop. And then eventually you're like, I hate ice cream. I don't I want do. any more ice cream. I really do. <laughs> um, that's Gloomhaven for me. <laughs> like, it's for me I too. still have it. I, I'm only through like 25% of the content even. And I just still haven't gone back to it. But yeah. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant game. It's, you know, it's, it's messy. It's not the cleanest thing in the world, but that's what makes it so brilliant. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of game. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, number two on the list, Brass Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Specifically Birmingham. I even, oh, it's got... I think two people said Lancaster and it was, no, Brass Birmingham still had a ton of votes. Uh, so it's funny, like what a handful of tweaks to that game did for it. Um, and, you know, a beautiful rendition of it as well. Like fantastic mm-hmm. artwork on the board, fantastic updates to everything in the box. 
the poker chips, all of it. Fantastic. The iron clays, I should say. Um, but the beer mechanic combined with the the way the, you know, the exporting of everything works now just makes Birmingham, you know, just one of the all time great Euro games. Brass was already good. Birmingham took it up a notch. See, I'll, I'll take it a step further. Like the first time playing brass, our friend Dave dragged me to the table to play this thing. And I almost hated it ever at every moment. The production was honestly one of the worst, if not the worst productions in a main, you know, mainstream Euro game that I had ever seen. I mean, go back, please take a look. You would be shocked how much better it is now than it, than it was. And it was one of those situations where like you're playing the game and you're taking out debt in order to do something. And you're like, this doesn't feel good, right? I don't like the idea that literally, like, I have to lose in order to hopefully kind of win. And I was just like, I don't ever want to play this. I'm done. I said I pl- I played this this Brett, you know, this brass game, and this Grail game never needs to be played again. And then Lancaster and Birmingham came out, and I'm just like, oh, this looks so much better. I wonder if there's you know any kind of small tweaks. And, like, and Lancaster was fine. I'm like, oh, this is good. And then Birmingham is like, oh no, 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 this is probably one of the best games of all time. How yeah. did you do that? What the heck, man? I don't know what's going on here, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand how they did that, but it's great. You know, it's, it's like on paper, it doesn't look like that many changes, but then you play it and you're like it's so good what happened yeah the variety the variability of the where the markets kind of show up and the addition of beer in the game it just adds so much more to the game and again the card mechanic and how you build everything out i mean it does if you if you're like a hardcore you're a gamer and you play brass you're like why is other people using my stuff like yeah. that doesn't really feel great. They're taking stuff off my stuff. But then once you kind of get in the flow of it, you're like, that's how you start building the game. Mm-hmm. You want your stuff to get flipped. You want people to use your stuff. And the Birmingham with the the changes in the beer and stuff like that, it's just, it's a great game. Like it's one of those things, it's one of those games you always want to play it no matter what you're doing. It's just like, it's going to be a modern day classic again somehow. I don't know how they did that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the app is fantastic, by the way. That also came out during the pandemic. So yeah. Uh, number one was also number one last year and possibly the year before. Uh, people keep saying this game is on the decline. Uh, this year, especially, they're like, oh, Ares Expedition is going to kill it. Terraforming Mars, still number one by, you know, a very healthy margin, like even more so than last year. It got almost double the points over Brass Birmingham. Uh, in terms of number of people who voted for it and where they put it on their lists. So I don't know. I don't know if anything's a terraforming Mars killer at this point. It's just, it keeps chugging along. People are all about this game as ugly as it is. It keeps going. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to tell what is, what is behind the, the stain power of this game other than it's really just mechanically a great game. And again, it, it yeah. has that really nice combination of the board and the cards and somehow it plays out really well. Like the, we mentioned with some of these other games that like there were certainly, tw- you know, tweaks and errata that had to come in and fix certain things where like certain corporations were underpowered or the fact that someone could build all day and not terraform kind of threw the game out or made a game hours. But Somehow it's always that little game that still somehow just does it so incredibly well. 
and just hits that sweet spot. Um, definitely some expansions are better than other. You always want to play with Prelude. Um, yep. you know, and then other ones are kind of hit and miss throughout the way. And I've, I've had yep. my strong feelings either way, but <laughs> I, I still own Terraforming Mars and a lot of the expansions. And again, great game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just quick mention, we had eight games fall off the list from last time. Seven Wonders, I mentioned. Marvel Champions, Great Western Trail, Clank, Azul, Root, Quacks of Quedlinburg, and Concordia, which was number four last time. Uh, this time, I believe, was number like 25. Wow. So that one fell down a lot more than I expected, especially with the app just coming out. So. Sure. Interesting. All right. Well, again, thank you all who took the time to answer our survey on your top 10 games leading to our listeners' top 20. It's, again, a fantastic list. We love all these games. We're so grateful that you put that together. Please jump on Facebook and Twitter and discuss. Uh, let people know how your games are the favorites, especially the Uve game. Eh? 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 Just yeah. saying. <laughs> 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 All right. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye.